Welcome to another episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's Monday, August 24th. The Democrats turned in an impressive effort last week and pulled off fairly seamlessly the first ever virtual national convention. Now it's Trump's turn. Today, we'll talk to former Republican Congressman Tom Davis as his party kicks off its convention week and looks this fall to hold on to the White House and the Senate. Later, we'll discuss a notable campaign ad currently airing in Georgia. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's down-ballot counts. But up first is Jerose Gem. Jerose Gem, my number of the week is 49. That's the current number of House and Senate races this year in which women are the nominees of both major political parties. That's according to the Center for American Women and Politics at Rutgers University. That eclipses the previous record of 33 set in 2018. We still have a few primaries left to go, so this number may climb yet. The total includes Oklahoma's 5th District, where two Republican women, businesswoman Terry Neese and State Senator Stephanie Bice, are competing in a runoff Tuesday for the nomination to oppose first-term Democrat Kendra Horn. I will have a preview of that runoff later Monday on our website, about.bgov.com. Notable races involving two women also include the main Senate race between Republican Senator Susan Collins and Democratic challenger Sarah Gideon, and also three contests in Iowa, the Senate race between Republican Senator Joni Ernst and Democrat Teresa Greenfield, the first district race between Democratic Congresswoman Abby Finkenauer and Republican Ashley Henson, and the open second district race between Democrat Rita Hart and Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks. Iowa didn't even elect a woman to Congress for the first time until 2014 when Ernst was elected to the Senate. And that, Down Ballot Counts listeners, is your Jero's Gem of the Week. All right, up next, we'll bring on Tom Davis. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Joining us now is Tom Davis, a former congressman from Northern Virginia and currently a partner at Holland and Knight. Tom, thanks for coming on Down Ballot Counts. Well, thanks for having me. So we are 10 weeks out from the elections. You are a former head of the House Republican campaign arm. Uh, let's jump right to it. What's what's your read on the battles for Congress? Well, the House is clearly uphill for Republicans at this point. The um, They have a number of opportunities to pick up seats, but they're also on defense in some seats. Uh, North Carolina, for example, they've lost two seats off the bat because of a gerrymandering decision by the uh, North Carolina courts. Um, so it's it's a struggle. It has not, I think, at this point, crystallized in terms of which way it's going. But the fights are basically in the outer suburbs. If the Republicans can come back in these areas, I think they'll make significant gains. Uh, if they can't and they continue to lose ground in the suburbs, it could go the other direction. And and I know you're still in touch with a lot of your former colleagues and, and other Republicans in Congress. What are they saying about their expectations for November or even um, what are they talking about in terms of the possibility that Democrats have total control of Washington next year and what, what that's going to be like? Well, well, let me start with the House right now. There are a number of, of uh, House seats that are really on the razor's edge. We put them in their competitive. And what we've seen in the presidential race is, is uh, if there's a shift of three or four points, that can have a massive uh, gain or loss for Republicans in the House in terms of which way that goes. And I think this that race is still ready to engage in September. So we don't know where that goes. And along with that goes the Senate. We saw 
we're seeing less ticket splitting uh, than at any time in history. So people who vote for president tend to go down ballot uh, for the same party. So that presidential race, I think, will be very critical, not just in determining turnout, but in determining the attitudes of November's uh, in November. So if Biden wins the presidency, uh, the Senate becomes much more difficult for the Republicans to hold, particularly because some of these races are in, in key swing states. So what does that mean, uh, Tom, for like, Cory Gardner, Susan Collins, maybe Martha McSally and Tom Tillis seeking re-elections in states that Trump may lose? What kind of strategies can they employ to win ticket splitters? Well, I, I think there are a number of voters, independent and Republican voters, that um, may not like Trump personally and may not want him in charge, but they're afraid to give the keys to the kingdom to the Democrats and allow them to run uh, with their total agenda, which they can do, of course, uh, under reconciliation, raise taxes and the like. So the key in a state like in Arizona or in North Carolina or in Iowa uh, and Maine is a little bit different because Maine doesn't have a lot of change. Collins has been around a long time. She's going to be a little bit more difficult to dislodge than I think a lot of pundits uh, uh, believe. But in, in these other states, I think uh, you've got to pitch your, 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 your whole um, advocacy to voters who don't like Trump but may not like the total Democratic agenda and let them know that you don't want to give the keys to the kingdom to the Democrats where they can run amok with their uh, agenda and that they can have it both ways. And that's tricky because, A, you've got to keep the Trump people on the ballot uh, for the Senate and the House races and keep them voting not just for president but down ballot as well. But secondly, pitch to the, that piece of the electorate that may not like Trump but may not want the Democrats in charge. And you and Martin Frost have written in your book The Partisan Divide about the nationalization of politics and how – U.S. election outcomes resemble parliamentary-style voting. Um, you mentioned straight-ticket voting. Why are we seeing more straight-ticket voting and less ticket splitting than we did a generation or two ago? Well, first of all, the trends you see the population, they're moving back and forth. Secondly, you've taken away earmarks from Congress, which was a main way for uh, local members to distinguish themselves. Uh, third, uh, what you're seeing in Congress now is, is the parties have moved right and left as a collapse of the center. So a lot of the voting choices are right or left, and members tend to fall in line with their party. So all they have to be judged on is basically their voting record. They're not bringing home the bacon to the districts uh, anymore. Uh, the population in their districts aren't acquainted with them over a number of years. Uh, there are a, just a handful of exceptions to that. Colin Peterson has survived in Minnesota because it's a district with not a lot of change. But even his last couple re-elects have been uh, close. Uh, and this time, I think Republicans going after him full more. Susan Collins in Maine, another state uh, without a lot of change. Uh, she's been able to personalize this over time. But even there, I think with the amount of money that they're spending down there, these races get polarized quick. And I think that the final thing is that you have better targeting. In the old days, you had Democrats and Republicans sitting in their uh, parties that were voting for the opposite district for president, and they wouldn't get attention from the national committees. And now those districts are specifically targeted. So it's a combination of all these things, transiency uh, of the population, uh, the lack of earmarks at this time, uh, party line voting for the most part, because those are the choices that are given uh, in Congress and better targeting that I think means less ticket splitting. And you have experience running a congressional campaign committee in a tough presidential election year 2000 when Al Gore nearly won the popular vote, lost the electoral vote, of course, and Republicans uh, held the House when you had a lot more open seats to defend. In a political environment like 2020, uh, how will House Republicans try and go about 
unseating Democratic incumbents and try to make some gains, even if the majority is kind of a tough reach? Well, you still have a number of Democrats sitting in districts that Trump carried last time and he will carry this time. And, and uh, with a couple, with only one exception now, Colin Peterson, they voted for impeachment. Uh, basically, you're voting for those Democratic colleagues uh, for their uh, if you vote for the Democrats in the House you're, who voted for impeachment, you're basically canceling your vote. I think that's the argument that, that a Republican uh, would make. Uh, secondly, uh, and, and I think you, you go full bore on that. Uh, secondly, there are a number of issues that you just say, look, this they came to Washington as independents, but and you name two or three dots together. They're uh, in lockstep with the Democrats, with AOC, with Pelosi, et cetera, et cetera. And that won't play in these districts. So Republicans are going to be an offense in a, in a number of districts against Democratic incumbents who won last time uh, in a year, highest turnout since uh, in 102 years, uh, where Democratic energy was high and Republican energy not quite as high. This time, Republican energy will equal that. And the third factor to remember is that in, in – uh, off-year elections, independents vote to put a check on the president rather than giving them a blank check. Uh, they wanted basically to, to tell Trump, we don't trust you with everything and we're going to put a check on you. But a presidential election is competing visions. It's not just uh, a, a referendum on the president. And Republicans have to make this election about competing visions. If it's a referendum on President Trump, uh, then I think that they're in trouble. Yeah, what does this polarization and ideological sorting of Congress and mean for governance and Congress's ability to forge bipartisan compromises on tough issues when the real elections for most members of Congress are the primaries? Yeah, well, it makes it very difficult because primary voters don't reward compromise. They'll watch Fox or MSNBC or, or whatever. They get their news a certain way, their information a certain way. They're just in, in completely different uh, bubbles. Uh, and they don't understand compromise because they think they're right and the other person is wrong. And uh, that's made it very difficult for people to cross over. And when they do, uh, you saw Van Drew cross over on impeachment. He couldn't get renominated. Um, it's very difficult to be an independent thinker in this environment on, on major high-profile issues. All right, Tom, uh, last question. I'm, I'm guessing you might have been in Charlotte this week had the Republican convention gone on in, in any traditional <laughs> sense. Um, how big of a blow is this for folks uh, who work in Washington and, and count on those networking opportunities that the conventions provide? Well, I think it's a blow to both parties because these uh, these are not just fundraising for candidates. It's an opportunity to get yourself front and center and meet uh, uh, players, contributors and the like. It makes messaging a lot more difficult. You saw in the Democratic convention that uh, the viewership was way, way down and there does not appear to be a post-convention bounce. Democrats don't need a bounce, though, because they're already uh, running ahead. For Republicans, I think that their messaging is going to be very important in terms of who tunes in to watch it and what they say. The biggest problem I think Republicans have is keeping the president on message and not having him stray from that message and step on that message. Uh, when the president's on message, he's very, very effective. But he, he has had a tendency, as, as has Biden to a lesser extent, but not quite as visible, to kind of wander off the page sometimes and change the story. Uh, the key for Republicans is staying on message and making this about issues uh, and not about the personality of the president. If this is a personality race. I think it's going to help the Democrats. If this is an issue race, I think it helps Republicans. All right. Well, it'll definitely be an interesting week and a wild ride to Election Day. Um, we'll have to leave it there. Tom Davis, thank you so much for your insights today. Thank you. Up next, we're heading to Georgia. 
I named Jordan after the river in the Bible. I never expected to be in Congress. But then my son was murdered. Jordan didn't deserve to die that way. To be true to my faith, I was going to have to forgive my son's killer. My tragedy turned to purpose. I worked in Congress to break the gridlock because I know inaction is not an option. Lucy McBath is fighting for our veterans. The president signed into law my bill to help veterans in hardship. I fought to lower drug costs. And when the CDC needed our help, I got them $500 million in emergency COVID funds. I'm fighting to help small businesses through the crisis. It's a relief to have a champion like Lucy McBath on the side of small businesses. Lucy McBath passed with bipartisan support and universal background checks. And yes, I'm fighting to prevent gun violence. As a mom on a mission, nothing will stop me from fighting for our families. That was an ad from Lucy McBath, a freshman House Democrat who flipped a seat in the Atlanta suburbs in 2018. It highlighted her background and profile as a prominent proponent of increased gun restrictions, but it also touted her work during the coronavirus. Greg, what stood out to you? Well, Kyle, it's a powerful spot that invokes her son's shooting death in 2012 and her work to curb gun violence, as you mentioned, uh, including her vote to expand uh, gun background checks. And it closes with an aerial shot of Macbeth standing at her son's grave as Macbeth says she's a, quote, mom on a mission. And it also notes that Trump signed into law her bill to protect military veterans' disability payments so they can't be seized in bankruptcy. I note this in part because Macbeth is among the 29 Democrats seeking uh, re-election from districts that Trump won in 2016. Georgia's sixth district in the Atlanta suburbs voted strongly for Mitt Romney in 2012, but only narrowly pro-Trump in 2016. And it's the kind of well-educated upper-income suburban district that's been shifting away from the Republicans under Trump. McBath faces former Congresswoman Karen Handel in a rematch of a 2018 race that McBath won narrowly. And this, Kyle, is a race to watch. Absolutely. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, our listeners, with a political trivia question. Let's first review last week's question and answer. And I asked, of the 535 seats in the House and the Senate, what percentage are held by women? And I gave you the choices of 24%, 30% and 33%. Kyle, let's see if you can extend your winning streak of correct answers. Well, I think it's about a quarter, so I'm going to go with 24%. 24% is correct. There are 127 women in the Congress right now, 101 in the House and 26 in the Senate. Women made historic gains in the 2018 election, but the representation of women in Congress is obviously still well below their share of the population. And now for this week's question. A week from Tuesday, Massachusetts Democratic Senator Ed Markey's long public service career is on the line in a primary against Congressman Joe Kennedy. And my question is, in what year was Ed Markey first elected to Congress? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We will reveal the answer and ask a new question on the next episode of Down Ballot Counts. All right, that's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Kyle, as I mentioned at the start of the program, Tuesday is the Republican runoff in Oklahoma's 5th District in and around Oklahoma City with the winner to take on first-term Democrat Kendra Horn. And it's the last full week of campaigning in that Massachusetts primary on September the 1st. 
The top build race is that Democratic Senate primary between Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy. And you also have a challenge to Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richie Neal from Holyoke Mayor Alex Morse. Massachusetts is among five states left to hold primaries, along with New Hampshire and Rhode Island on September the 8th, Delaware on September the 15th, and Louisiana, which holds its blanket primary on the National Election Day, November the 3rd. All right, primary season not quite over yet. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination, and he endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. Down Ballot Counts was produced by David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you next week. Taxes and accounting are complicated. But finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. I'm Siri Belusu. And I'm Amanda Icone. Listen to Talking Tax the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from what Congress is working on, to legal rulings, to the global digital tax debate. Download and subscribe to Talking Tax wherever you get your podcasts.